This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Todd Berry Podcast. I always like to open the show by getting the plugs out of the way. Uh, Live shows for me, February, February 25th through 27th, I'll be at the Just for Laughs Just for Laughs Festival in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'll be doing a Todd Berry podcast taping, and I will be doing stand-up and crowd work shows, all at Yuck Yucks. March 17th, I'll be in Ithaca at the Dock. March 18th, Comedy Works, Albany, New York. March 25th, I'll be in Charleston at the, I think it's called the Sotile Theater. It's like sort of the rescheduled uh, Charleston Comedy Festival show, March 25th. That's a day before my birthday, by the way. May 30th, Sasquatch Festival in, in George, Washington at the Gorge. July 1st and 2nd, I'll be in D.C. at the new Draft House Comedy Theater, I believe it's called. It's not the one in Arlington. This is in downtown D.C. I have some other dates that are going to be Advertised soon, announced soon in um, like three shows in Ithaca. Yeah, not three shows in Ithaca, three shows in Michigan. Excuse me, Michigan. Those will be announced soon. Uh, one in Syracuse will be announced soon. So check back to toddberry.com and go to at toddberry Twitter. My crowd work special on Netflix. And Feral Audio brings you this podcast. So go to feralaudio.com and look at look at their other podcasts. Look and listen, actually. Don't just look. Rory Albanese is on the show. He's an executive producer. He was an executive producer on The Daily Show, and now he's on The Nightly Show with Larry, Milmore, Larry Wilmore, and, uh, and he's also a stand-up. So we get to talk about both those things. Here is Rory Albanese. An engineer? You think I need an engineer? Yeah, I think that you're at that level. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Rory's saying that because I just had to question which button to push to start recording. Yeah, I'm like this little tape deck thing. It's like a, he's like it's like a ca- Casio. This is the the, the industry standard of. Is uh, it? Yeah, this is the Zoom. A Zoom mm. or Zoom? One of those. I don't know. It's not a Zoom. Zoom. No, no Zoom yeah. is that thing yeah, that the Zoom that fails. Was that the thing that uh, the failed iPad? Yeah, that's a Zoom. This is the industry standard. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not knocking the zoom. I just want to say it is you should have a kid pushing the button. I know. That's all I'm saying. No, man. The zoom is fine, but you're Todd Barry. You should, should be like. Yell, you should be yelling at an intern to roll. The only thing I should be pushing the button on is doing this podcast at all. <laughs> I don't mean with you. I just mean in general. Someone should just go, Todd. We're going to push the off button. You don't have to do it anymore. Oh, but it's please. fun, man. People love Todd Barry. I know. No, no. I'm being. Uh, I'm just being lazy about it, man. Now let's start out. <laughs> you uh, at the cellar recently. You gave me a. 
uh, I guess it was a compliment about mm. something I said to you. Let's let's start with you praising me. That's a great way to start. That's a good, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Thanks for coming. <laughs> and if you think and of the second just... one, we can book it for the end. <laughs> no, you told me I had a uh, I did an hour um, at the New York Comedy Festival at the Highline Ballroom, which was a big deal for me. Um, it, it, it amounted to nothing, as as most things I do uh, end up mounting to. But uh, I I you know I recorded it for myself, and I was gonna you know try to sell it to somebody to actually record properly. But uh, I had this sort of moment on stage because the Highline is a venue that is not set up for stand up. It, it really isn't. It's like a big music space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so it was like I don't know two hundred. 5,300 people in it, but that's not the right amount. And they were like, oh, it's sold out. I'm like, not if you count how big it is. Like, it's yeah. sold out by how many chairs you put on the floor. Right. So, uh, but I did my hour and I like really powered through it and I didn't rely on that, like, oh my God, they didn't laugh as hard as I thought. They didn't laugh as hard as I thought. And I just like kind of crushed my hour. And I came back and I told you, I was like, man, I just had this moment on stage where I didn't care if they were laughing or not. I just cared that they heard what I was saying. You go, yeah, you just did stand up. And I was like, shit, man. It was a really like pinnacle moment for me because it, I've had that experience before, but not for a fully sustained hour. And afterwards it was, people really liked it, but it was just not caring about that, like instant feedback. And then when I didn't get it going, oh, well, I should probably just do some poop jokes or something to get right. them back, you know? And I just like, no, this is my hour. Take it or leave it. And I don't know. It was just, and, and when you said that to me, it really crystallized the idea of, oh, you don't have to always please the crowd in that way. It's a weird feeling, but it's like you want them to like you, but you yeah, don't have yeah, to yeah. like pander. It's like a pander. You don't want to pander, and you also don't want to constantly, and I have to fight this sometimes, when the crowd's a little dead, to constantly point it out to them. Because mm -hmm. especially if other comics have gone after, before you and also pointed out, then they're like, what, what are we doing it. wrong? What are we doing wrong? Yeah, <laughs> We're no. a shit crowd. We get it. But it's weird, though, because it's that's the thing I always tell people about stand-up is getting good at it is so much of it is fighting every... You have to use your instincts to be funny because you have to be funny to do it, but you have to fight your other instincts to, like... I remember when I first started doing it, like, someone would drop a fork in the back of a club, and I'd be like, hey, hold out of that fork, pal. And right, people right. like, what are you talking about? Right. Because you have this heightened sense of everything that's going on, and you have to learn to, like, not... It's almost like uh, every, every noise you hear is like you know booming in your head but you no one else is hearing that to them it's just background noise but when you so you have to really learn to like tune that out and focus on what you're doing but boy i made that mistake so many times and that's when i would really get pissed even if i had a good set i'd get so pissed myself if i did that hey what's with this crowd right like, you know it's but like fighting that impulse sometimes though i mean if you give them a, if, the, if you give the crowd a little bit of poke Mm -hmm. they'll laugh louder than anything you've said because they're like, oh, yeah, we're kind of a shit crowd. Yeah, I did that. But you don't want to... I, I still do it here and there, but, you know. But, yeah, you're good. I think you're right about it. I've, I've tried more and more lately to ignore as much as possible. I try to think of it as, like, you know, a rock band is playing on stage. There's a million things going on. But they're just playing. Yeah, they don't stop. Hey, man, what's what's going on? Why'd you, why'd you breathe? We're not clapping, man. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, there's some rude audience behavior that needs to be... Yeah, I find it, too, that... Um... Depending on the club, certain clubs, because I was just talking to somebody, uh, they're doing that documentary about the comedy cellar. And I, I did, have you talked to that? Yeah, that, yeah. That I thing, and they asked me some questions about what's different about the cellar and is it a better crowd? And, and I was like, it, there's always going to be a drunk person in a crowd. The question is how the club handles it. Exactly. Because I find some clubs overreact so quickly that somebody's heckling and it's like hold on a minute like give me a minute to like deal with it which and, clubs are these i want to work these clubs you, know, you really like that <laughs> i don't know i feel like they pounce so quick the seller i feel like is pretty good at like stealth, yeah, yeah. stealth removal and know? they also warn they sort of prep them they kind of tell them you know everyone walks in the the 
door guy goes, shut your phone off. Mm-hmm. Don't text. Yeah, the thing that happens, though, is when a, once a person is drunk and talking loud, when you go tell them to be quiet, they do the same thing. They go, I'm not even talking loud. And yeah, then you yeah. go, oh, all right. And then they, then they defend them. themselves and argue them. And then that's, that's what, <laughs> then you have a whole other problem. Yeah, you just got to do it with a light touch. You just got to walk up and go, hey, man, yeah. I'm eight feet tall. This is the bouncer talking. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a nice guy, but you could see that what I'm capable of, I could kill you. Yeah, those dudes, those comedy celebrity bouncers, man, they're awesome. Yeah, they are. I, like, I just want to like go out with those guys one night and get into trouble and be like, I'm with them. <laughs> but I feel like guys like that, I know, you just want to, hey, you're the guy, you're big, so you want to get in fights, right? Yeah, they're like, like no, well, we I do actually not don't want to get in fights any more than you do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fights still suck, even when you're huge. The, um, so you, you did that hour. Are you doing an hour special? You did. A, I want to do an hour special. I mean, you know, it's, it's really weird because, uh, you know, I have... I've recorded on it, like I sort of unintentionally recorded an hour in Madison, Wisconsin, about a year ago. Oh, that's a good club. It's a great club, yeah. and uh, they have a pro audio recording setup. So I went there, and the guy who runs it was like, well, the audio guy who runs it was like, hey, if you want, I can record your shows, and if they're good, you can release, you know. So he recorded them, and one of them, they were both okay, but you know, it's like once you start thinking of it as an album, you start thinking of it like, well, I can nail this joke better, and I can tighten this, I can nail this, and yeah. then I just sort of didn't put it out, which was probably. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And then this hour I taped myself, meaning I just had a couple guys I know tape it so I can sort of sell it, you know, shop it around. But and then it was pretty good. I was like, oh, maybe I can release this. But then there was a huge audio issue with it, which was like they didn't the, – the club the club didn't mic. They only had the mic going into the uh, into the booth, whatever that means. So oh, only right, my mic. So the, the audience yeah. into the board. So my – the audience – it sounds like there's an audience. So the luckily the camera was rolling, so it got laughs. But it doesn't sound whatever. I don't right? Know. You don't want to skimp on that it. shit. No, yeah. you don't want to be like, hey, no, they'll know it's funny. And you don't want to, and you don't want to like fake it. I don't want to be like, no, there were laughs. I'll just boost them. It's like, nah, that's like against the rules. You know what I mean? Like you got to get them. And no, there are laughs on it. It's just they're not recorded properly, so they just seem a little bit more distant. You know. I read uh, Netflix special reviews, and everyone. Almost everyone, there's someone who accuses them of using a laugh track. Really? Yeah, which I don't think, I mean, I guess maybe some people do, but. I don't know. I like, where are all these experts at laugh tracks? Like, <laughs> laugh track. guy at home and is like, Well, I don't think people realize what a laugh track is. Yeah. Because I think even people, they do sweeten sitcoms, but sitcoms, like a three camera show, has a live studio yeah, audience. Yeah. And they suffer. They suffer. I, I've worked on sitcoms. Like, they sit there for 15 hours or eight hours right. or something, and they keep trying to feed them sandwiches, and like, there's a guy juggling in front of them and stuff. But. There are people in the room laughing. It's just they're not always laughing as hard as the network. You know, there's some network that's like, boost it, you know? But yeah. I don't know. I feel like with stand-up, it, that feels like a little bit unfair. Although, you know, I don't know. Hey, whatever it takes. It's cheating, yeah. yeah. So am I going to record the show again, or am I going to have this guy push a few buttons? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah. Am I going to put this shirt back on, or just have this guy push a few buttons? Just get some laughs, grab it off of Kevin Hart's last special, and mm-hmm. just throw them in there. And uh, Yeah, just grab some of those <laughs> in-between heart laughs. <laughs> we'll be all set. Yeah. Did you, um, do you go... Do you go on the road much? Or I yeah, guess you can. I do. No, I mean, I, that's the problem with the job I have right now is it's like, I mean, I worked at The Daily Show for a long time and then left because of the problem of I can't really perform. It's You can't work five days a week writing comedy and producing comedy and then go do it on the weekends without missing, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So uh, I left and was on the road for a full year. And then when I took this job, I sort of built in some weekends to go out on the road and I'm performing on the show. So it's sort of, you know... It's it the whole thing I realized being on the road for a year was like whatever you did behind the scenes 
doesn't really amount to audience as much as like, you know, you, you go on the road and you learn from club owners really quickly that people who are on TV, regardless of what they did on TV, packed the house. I yeah. think a lot of that's because of Instagram, you know what I mean? People right. want to meet them afterwards and all that. So you realize, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe to get some people in the door, it'd be good to have some FaceTime on something, you know? So I took this gig because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on the Larry Wilmore show, but it's like I get to be on it. I get to work with Larry. He's a cool dude. Get to write some stuff. But, you know, after a while, it becomes that same thing again where it's like, all right, I got to go on the road. So I've done, like, I just did Helium in Philly, and I'm going to Comedy Works in Albany next weekend. And then... Uh, uh, I'm going there, too. I heard that's a good one. Are you really? Yeah. It's supposed to be and good. Helium's good also. Helium's great, man. Yeah. Helium, I've never heard of this before, but they say to you, how much time do you want to do? They ask the headliner. Oh, really? Yeah. How much time do you want to do? I'm like, uh, an hour? They go, great. Well, I mean, I guess I've, they generally ask that, but I mean, I think they ask that with, you can't go 15 minutes. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I think, but usually, not usually, but I've definitely been to clubs where they're like, do a type 45, we got to flip the room, da, da, da. Like, yeah, they're so yeah. panicked about the next show. Right. That they're like rushing the headliner off the stage. But at a club that's like, yeah, whatever, hour, hour, 10, like they're just like pretty chill about what it. Do you, like, how do you answer that question? I just say I'll probably do an hour, you know? And then like I did each night I did probably, like I think I, because I, I record on my shows on my phone. So it's like I did like 58 minutes, 59 minutes, a minute, an hour, two, an hour, four, you know, like. It sounds like just, you fucked them over on a yeah, few of those. a little bit. Yeah, I built, I built, <laughs> I built, an I, built, hour, I gave them minutes. two more minutes the night before. But I mean, in other words, I did basically an hour every night and it was awesome. It's just, it's also nice to not be on stage going, oh shit. Like I got to get off. Like they don't care. They're not. There's not like a light. They're not really yeah. worried about it. You know. It's, it's just a great. It's a great club. And uh, the, I did the one in Portland too. The one in Portland. That's a good awesome one. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. I actually, Paulie Shore came in and did a little guest spot on that one. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Just for the uh, for the story. Mm. How was how was he received there? People went ape shit, man. I was. I mean, not not knocking Paulie Shore. Like, not that. There's no need to knock Paulie Shore. I have nothing to say about the guy. I don't know him at all. But he was in town for his niece's bat mitzvah or uh -huh. something and he's like figured he'd swing by and like, you know the, i didn't even even meet the guy like the, the club was like paulie show wants to do sometime i'm like great and then i was sitting out in the room watching the other comics so he went on and then he bounced for him and met him you know but uh they went ape shit man paulie sure he got like a near standing ovation for walking out on stage i think probably just i mean just the pure surprise that Paulie Shore. Yeah, it's like you're in Portland. It's not. I mean, I guess some celebrities hang out there. But yeah, you don't yeah. expect Paulie Shore to do a guest set. It is a reminder, though, that it doesn't matter if you've done. People just like people who have been on TV and in movies. Like you, I always forget that, and like I reminded myself of that when I, like I said, I went on the road for a year. And I was like, man, I've done a lot of, I worked on the Daily Show for a long time. I've done a lot of cool stuff, but right. no one knows. And then you realize, oh, it. You can't approach, you want to, I mean, I always wanted to approach it with like, ah, oh, that doesn't matter, but it just does. It just matters. Like yeah. if you're, if your people know who you are, they want to come see you. Like they, like meaning know your face. They, if they read your resume, they're not as excited. It just doesn't matter. They're, uh, I mean, yeah, they're soap stars that are, that tour as comedians. Is that uh, true? Yeah. And they. Well, Steve-O tours as a comedian. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he sells out rooms and like he's, his, he's famous for having like an alligator bite at his dick, you know? Right. They just, that's sort of, yeah, that's more of a, I can't, I, I guess they're using the venue as a personal appearance space as opposed to. Yeah. I don't want to say they're not comedians, but. No. Well, it, it, there is a component to be. a different kind of comedian. Yeah. But there is a component to being a comedian. I think that is, um, when you have to deliver, like if you, that's the whole thing I always say is like, I'm. I feel like now if people came and see me, came and saw me, they would like it versus, oh, I recognize that guy and then I'm just putting together 
45 minutes of something to right. make to make money on the road yeah you know what i'm saying it's like oh i've thought about this hour like i have an act i like i have put new stuff in it all the time like i write jokes i like you know what i'm saying so it, there is a difference between yeah. um but again i i've i don't you know steve-o seems like a nice funny guy oh, yeah, i've never even seen his Steve-o. act yeah last thing we need is a steve-o there's the no, I can't fight with Steve. East anymore. Coast, West Coast, bro. We years, we had years of fighting. Yeah, just, man. You now we're we're it's both older. East Coast, West Coast. But there uh, are guys. Yeah, I mean, there are people who um, do Taurus stand-ups. I'm not going to mention names, mm-hmm. but you know that someone just said, you know, if you put something together. Yeah, there's you make money. I mean, yeah. it's true. And if you you can, yeah, I know people who sell out big rooms and make a lot of money, and they don't have an act. But I do. From what I've talked to about club owners and theater people that I've talked to who like run those spaces, they'll say the trouble is next year when they come back for round two, they don't get the audience. Like in other words, necessarily, like there is a lot of drop off in who comes back, or they do the exact same hour. Hour, but in other words, it's not a sustainable business model. Like it's a good way to sweep the country for right. a year, year or two, <laughs> and then after a while, you're like, yeah, we're out of markets. You know, I believe they call it a cash grab. A cash grab, yeah. Everyone's it's using visibly... that expression. That's the first time I've ever used it publicly. Robert a bank. I'm glad I was here for that. Now, were you? Excuse my ignorance, but were you were stand up before you got the executive producer job. At the Daily Show, yeah, or, yeah, I was. I started at the Daily Show out of college as a production assistant. Oh. Yeah, I was there forever. So I basically worked. I started doing stand up, and because I was like scared to tell my dad that like I went to college and I was just going to be a comedian because he's like kind of an old school Italian dude who doesn't understand that shit. I was like, well, if I get a job in comedy, at least I have a job. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So Thank I got you. a job as a PA at the Daily Show, figuring I would do it for like six months, do start doing stand up go out to LA, whatever you're supposed to do to get into the world of like performing and writing comedy. But then the daily show sort of took off while it sort of took off. It exploded while I was there. So in that half, I mean, I was, I started six months after John Stewart, but I was like logging tapes, you know? Right. So over the course, I was there 14 years, but oh, over wow. the course See, of that, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So over the course of that lifetime that I spent there, I was doing stand up simultaneously with that job. But then my job was growing internally while I was doing stand up. So I never really had, and it's a big regret for me, Todd Barry, that I never really oh, like. I'm trying to make you feel better. Yeah, it was, no, it's, it's a good night for it. It's like <laughs> raining and sad outside. Um, no, but it definitely was a uh, challenge to do both. And I feel like I put a lot more into The Daily Show than I did into stand-up. And then I sort of inverted that the last few years where I was like, I don't want to dedicate all of my time to that or another thing. I want to put it into myself performing and writing my own shit. And then this job for The Nightly Show came up. And I actually said no to it originally. And John, oh, really? Yeah, because John, John Stewart's producing it. He's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I, I was on the road. I was like in Indiana, like yeah. in bed, eating a sandwich at like noon. I was like, why would I want to yeah, go? Yeah. Why would I go back to have a job? But he basically was like, look, dude, it's a, it's um, Larry Wilmore, who's an awesome guy. Uh-huh. And uh, you get to be on it. He's like, you can be like, you'll be like the token white guy on the show. I was like, oh, yeah, well, if I can be on it, then at least I'm learning something new. You right. know? I mean, I've already done the other thing, and it's great. It's a great job. I'm not knocking it, but it's exhausting. Running a show is exhausting. When are you going to quit? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> we'll talk about that when the when the uh, Zoom is off. I don't <laughs> know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, even even as the in the role I'm in right now, where I, and it's great because, like I said, I get to be on it two, three nights a week. But even in that capacity, it's still it's just a lot, you know. And then I go out to do a spot at the cellar or something at like night, and I'm like. My eyes are glazed up. Right, because you know? no, most of the people at the cellar didn't work a 14-hour They day. woke. They woke up like 15 yeah. minutes before their spot. Right. You know? Yeah. 
But look, it's like it's nothing to complain about. It's I, mean, it, I always think about this too. It's like like look at a guy like Louis. Like he's uh-huh. never not doing ten things. Yeah. It's like that's kind of what it is. Like that. I, I'm always like that guy will have like an hour come out and then like release a secret sitcom. Plus he's got like two episodes of his show. Plus he's in two movies. And I'm like, well, you know, people work a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, he not only releases sitcom, he like he wrote ten episodes. That's what like, I'm saying. Like, when so did he like, do that? Right, and he's got kids yeah. that he like takes care of. Yeah. So it's sort of like, okay, well, people do it. You know, you can work a lot of hours. You don't want to, but you can. You know, it's just about managing. I think a lot of it too is having ownership over the stuff you're doing. That's where it gets challenging because it's like when you work for the network mm-hmm. that's Comedy Central and they're like about the coolest network on, in the land but you know it's still not you know if you're creating your own stuff uh, then you feel like oh this is my voice exactly this is my thing like when I worked for The Daily Show that's what I that, that's what slowed me down more than anything for stand-up was I really didn't have my own voice because I was writing for John for so long that I like knew his voice and I think some of my voice got into his voice because sometimes when we talk I'm like oh shit we have a lot yeah and I'm like I don't know who, I don't know if I gave you that or you gave me that but like we just spent a lot of time around each other but you know at the end of the day nobody knows who I am and obviously everyone knows who he is so there becomes a point where you go well you know what I want to try some of this uh I want to try some of this on my own you know just- yeah now you're executive producer right because mm-hmm. I have a couple of executive producer credits like mm-hmm. on my specials Couple of them I didn't even know I was getting. Like I don't. That's, I know there's a big a difference. Agent. That's a good agent. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't even know what I did. I yeah. mean, it looks. It makes me. Well, you feel know what cool you did. I see it in the. Because you made all. If it's your special, you and my guess is you made all the creative choices, right? Yeah. Like you ultimately were like, I don't want that to be the background. I yeah, don't want yeah. that to for be for the this. most part. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so that's what it is. But you know, for me, what that job is, and I have help. Like Amy Ozels, who used to run Fallon Show, is like the co-EP at the show. Uh-huh. So she's. A godsend, and we have got great writers and you know supervising producers and stuff like Tom Ruprecht. He used to work at Letterman's and head writer. Like, there's a lot of really good people that are helping me. But uh, you know, it's basically all of the problems that go into making a show every day. I have to deal with. So whether that's firing people, hiring people. Oh, really? Firing oh, people? Everything. Yeah. Like it's it's like our job. You know, it's like a job. How where many you, people have you fired? Sadly, like a lot of people I fired and that not for most of them for no other reason than like the budget was cut or the, uh, you know, it's like doing cuts on a baseball team. You're just like, we don't have this department no longer exists. We no longer need. And it's the worst thing in the world because they're all people I actually really liked and cared about. But I'm you're put, that's what I'm saying. Like you're put in a position where like the network's like, we no longer want this to be a thing on the show. So make this take care of it yeah and then you got to do it and like you got to sit down and look somebody in the eyes and basically tell them like they don't you know they're not there anymore do they believe you when the like if i someone said they were firing me for a budget cut i might well no i mean it's not look it's not everything not budget cuts like a lot of it is simply like what the show is like if you look at what the show was the nightly show when Uh it started the idea of the show was larry had four people every night on a panel in other words, four independent outside guests on a panel with him four nights a week. Instead of regular panelists. Yeah, like meaning instead of regular. So that's 16 guest bookings a night. Yeah. Okay. So we had a huge talent department because we needed to have a huge talent department. Then over time, between the network's notes and the reality of what was working and not working, it's turned into there's six of us in rotation. And now there's only three people on the panel, and of the and two of the three people besides Larry are in-house people. That's myself, Mike Yard, you know, Ricky Velez, Jordan Carlos, Holly Walker, Robin Thede, you know, Grace Parr. Like there's so we have this team. We just hired this uh, awesome girl, Francesca Ramsey, who's this like 
super super funny really cool and so we've got this internal team of people around the table and now there's one person we're booking so we have a giant panel department of people booking four guests a night and now we're going down and booking one guest a night you don't need a giant panel department so it just becomes like but then we realize oh but we need more of this because we're doing a lot of like costume stuff so we need more people in wardrobe so it's like that's what i mean by budget cuts it's like you have a limited budget so it's like well if you have 10 people here uh-huh and you only need one, and then you have one person there, and you need six. You gotta, you know, you gotta. It's, it's not like everyone in the town department could just jump in a wardrobe. Right. You gotta like get wardrobe people, and then get rid of town people. It sucks, but it's like a math game. They're not. They don't just keep pumping in. So money. there's someone else who figures that out, and then they just kind of go. Take- well, we, we figured out. I mean, in other words, the network will say like, "This is what is working for us, isn't working for us," and they don't. They don't. It's not a total mandate. It's also what we think is working, you know, and it's also you're really trying with a show like this, and it's not, you know, so far it hasn't taken off the way i think it could because i do think we're doing some really good stuff on the show but you know there's a lot of people on late night tv right now it's not like it's a pretty flooded market i know you know and it's like uh there's a lot of and there's also you're not even competing against other late night shows it's like you're competing against instagram and twitter and snapchat and facebook and you know so it's you're it's really so they don't even know how to measure it anymore so the nielsen ratings are what they still go by but the nielsen ratings are just like a weird racist thing <laughs> like they are like the Nielsen ratings are it's in 20,000 homes so there's like you know say they'll say all right well it's in 20,000 homes so everything's just extrapolated from that so you go well a thousand black people watch this this is what all black people watch uh-huh. I'm like I thought that's what racism was is it racism if, if, if a small group of a race does one thing all the people in that race do it so it's like it's based on that you know it's have like, you ever done a segment about the Nielsen ratings? about Nielsen ratings no we, look we, at that no. I helped yeah. you develop something. yes there you go now so you got to get an EP credit on fire who else would have thought should have thought of that done. and uh, I just replaced did. them with me <laughs> I just fired them on Twitter <laughs> is that the wrong way to do it um, yeah, so it, it really is just a, you know, and you're so you're sort of chasing this idea that you got to have your ratings be a certain thing, and that there's a certain group of people you aren't watching, which are young people, right? Because young people are the people yeah. who buy things, and so you're, but at the same time, you don't want to compromise, you know. And it's also Larry has a certain style, so it's like we can't just be like Larry. All right, put a hat on sideways and come out. Yeah, like he's rapping. not 22. Like, he's not like he's he's got like a he's got a gravitas to him that like so we're you know we're building the show around this guy and the way that the show works best. And then it's kind of out of your control if people watch it or not. So the network will come back and go, look, the numbers are low. Try some things. So you try some things. And then, you know, in a few months they come back and go, the numbers are wrong. Try some other things. And then if they, you know, after a few times, I guess they just go, we're going to, we're going to try something else altogether. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like TV is so different now because now you're like shooting for something for youtube or whatever to yeah. go, go viral and it's like has you nothing are. to do with the whole tv show really 100 percent. the thing you're trying to do it's so weird so it's like you're not really producing tv the way you think about it where you go all right we got a show here what is this 21 and a half 22 and a half minute thing we're doing how's it supposed to look from start to finish you're going which of these little nuggets are gonna go and get no make some noise oh, and make some, and we've had that and we but we don't chase it you know you sort of just make the show and then if these things go they go but I think what I'm learning now is like you kind of have to chase it right you know like I have a little bit of an old school mentality which is funny because I'm not really old school but I've been doing this a long time but the mentality is you know we got to just make a great thing and people will catch on but after a while you go well even if we're making a great thing. There's no guarantee people will catch on, so we also have to start to like. Right. We got you have to sort of chum the waters a little bit, you know. So that's why we're starting to shoot some like little side side pieces and little like you know uh, short films and things like that to just try to make a little bit of noise out there. 
I watched yesterday, or I watched the on-demand one. Okay. Does that count in the ratings? I don't know. Probably not. I probably made fourteen point oh 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 one four cents on that. Oh, do you get a little residual? No, I probably oh, don't. Let's actually. talk money. I'm a double playback. <laughs> just talk, let's spend the rest of time There's talking no about residuals. how much money we make. The um, are those panels? Are they completely uh, off the cuff? Or are they? I mean, that's the thing. No, I mean, a lot of them are off the cuff in the sense of the goal of the show is to make it feel conversational. You know. Yeah. But. You, you, everything has to be produced, so that's that's sort of the thing we we, we go back and forth with with um, figuring out how to do it, which is how much of it, you know, because Larry really wants to go in cold, like he loves the idea of not knowing what anyone's going to say, so it really throws off a lot of comics and people who come in because they're like, well, I have this bit I want to go right. into, but he really, you know, it's like that Byron Allen thing. It's like everyone you really want to avoid the like, so Tata, I heard you like pizza, you're like pizza. Let me let me yeah, tell you yeah. about pizza, and you just launch in your bit. It feels so transparent. I do have a pizza bit. So you that do. One, I actually wouldn't mind that question. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be really a nice way to say yeah that. i mean you know, i know what you're saying but right and uh, you know the idea of you know, comics unleashed it's like yeah they're they're leashed but uh but and not saying it's not good exposure and a good way for comics to go yeah. on and get their material out but the idea of this show is to make it feel more natural and and kind of organic but which is larry's very prideful about that as he should be because it's what he wants to do so the, look the goal of, for me is to make the show he wants to make that's my job is like, all right this is your show what do we need to do to make it what you want to do? Plus, I think this, 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 and this. And he could take those that advice or leave it, you know. But as far as the panel's concerned, I think what makes Larry really good is his desire to go out there and just go like, no, like let's just have a real conversation and talk. The problem is the wild card component of that is when you have people you don't know on the panel. Like yeah. we, if you go back and look when we had four guests on the panel, sometimes you just have somebody come in and just sit there. And you're like, oh no! Like, what yeah, do we do, do now? Uh, Don Cheadle's not talking. What do we do? <laughs> you know. I used to do uh, tough crowd. I did that a, several times. And, mm -hmm. and you'd go on there, and it'd be like, or I'd go on there, and uh, and yeah, I would just get bulldozed. You I'm wouldn't just, even get a word. I would try to, but you'd kind of have you're to. You're on with like, yeah, like you know, Patrice, Patrice and, and like yeah, and these people who were just huge presences mm -hmm. is that a word yeah pres huge presence personalities side, presence loud and and just they just talk more than i do uh-huh and uh they, yeah and that's the job of the host you know that's really quinn's supposed to go guys shut the fuck and up. he probably did Todd, yeah i think he go, did you yeah, sort of yeah, have yeah, to yeah. catch his eye yeah and go oh hey, let, 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 talk, talk. but you're managing your traffic managing a lot of talkers yeah know? so it's you know it's in that i i always love tough crowd but there was a component to it that's like you're gonna end up in a you know, people who are talking more than other people are always going to get in. It's a, t it's a hard, it's hard to do these kind of shows. The idea of it is great. The idea of like, yeah, it's a bunch of funny people sitting around and shooting the shit. Yeah. You know? But it all has to be produced. And if it's overproduced, you smell it because then it becomes, Todd, tell me about pizza. Which yeah, yeah. But 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 if it's under, you know, if it's undercooked, then it's like, what am I watching? So it's we're trying to strike that balance of like, Larry's got some questions. The panelists have the questions. But we're not necessarily sitting with him and going, okay, Todd's going to say this, and then Robin's going to say this, and then this is going to happen. We're not doing it that way. It, the, so the moments that occur are natural and organic. But you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, we should probably manufacture some more of them because you want it. You know, you want it to consistently be good. But um, you know, it's definitely a, panel shows are hard to do, and a nightly panel show is particularly hard to do because you kind of run out of stuff to talk about after a while. It's like, hey, you want to talk about Trump again? Like, not really. Yeah. Like, how many times? You know, we, we, and we do. We talk about Trump a lot, not for any reason other than, like, it's the thing everyone's talking about. But after a while, particularly as somebody who's on the panel a lot, I'm like, 
I don't know, I'm kind of out of Trump stuff, you know? It's and I don't even prepare. An to hit. Oh. Yeah. A lot of times now I don't even prepare because I'm like, well, you know, I, all of my written Trump stuff is out there in some capacity. So it's sort of like, let's just see what happens. And then sometimes moments will happen between like, depending on who you're on panel with, you know? But it, it all depends. The, the wild card is that other guest. Because if that other guest comes on and they're like, we did, I did a panel last week. It was Mike Yard and I and Triumph. Oh. So it was literally like me just sitting there hysterically crying right, right. and smiles under the desk being <laughs> Trump. So like we didn't have to do anything. I even said the yard. I'm like, do you prep for this thing? I'm like, it's triumph. Like we just yeah, sit here and like back feed him lines. Also. Yeah, just like so I was like, we just have to sit here and laugh. So that was easy, you know. But sometimes like I was on again, yard and I did one with Spike Lee. Like Spike Lee is not like a gregarious fellow, you know. He's a really smart guy, but he's not gonna be like rich. but he was he was he was really fun. He like we were. I was worried. I'm like, man, Spike Lee is gonna be tough. This guy's like super serious, but he wasn't. He was like, he opened up. He was fun. Yeah, he is really funny. Yeah, I mean, he can obviously be very serious, but he is. Uh... But you don't know. My point is, you don't know. Right. And then sometimes you bring in like an improv guy, and everyone's like, oh, this is the funniest improv guy in L.A. And then he's just like, a, <laughs> like, oh, oh man, that guy's. And I'm sure they're funny. It's just they're not. You know, it's a hard. It's a weird game because if the thing is, is if you're not setting up people. If you don't, if you're not always setting them up, it's tough to know when to come in, when not to come in. You know, it's a tough thing. The, my favorite one that I've done is with Glazer, who I know you used to yeah, do yeah. his uh, Todd's Betty. <laughs> so I love that show. Delocated. It's like my favorite. What are you doing here, Todd Betty? Um, but Glazer was so good. He was per he's like a perfect combo for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He's just like he's funny off the cuff, but he's a stand up, but he also does improv kind of you know, yeah, so he, kind of bit type. Things. Yeah, exactly. So he was he killed it. When am I going to be on the panel? I don't know. We should be on the panel. We haven't That's, even talked about I, it. I don't usually get in people's faces during the yeah, recording. Yeah, crazy. Why haven't you, you heard it here? <laughs> but that's the other thing, too, is I don't, and I'm. this isn't even a punt, but I, it is, luckily <laughs> for me, I don't have final say on who's on the panel because I spend way too much time at the Comedy Cellar and right. way too many people, you know, who, who are not Todd Barry would say things like, oh, am I going to be on? It's like, not really... I can't just be like, you're on tomorrow, which is good for me, because otherwise I would be put in a very awkward right. position. Well, so the great thing about me is I won't do any follow-up. Yeah, that's and if, good. And if I don't end up on, well, I won't ever punish you for it. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, one of the things I keep saying to Larry more, that more and more is, like, we should just really lean towards just having comics on as much as possible. It's just like Tough Crowd. It's like, it's Comedy Central. So it's like, we're never going to get to the heart of an issue. It's a seven-minute panel. So really what you're trying to do is have some good jokes out there. Like, Tom Papa comes in. He's been on a couple times. And he just kills it every time because he comes, he like preps, he writes his stuff. Madigan always kills it. Like, you know, and I sort of keep saying to him, I go, let's have, and it's not like he's like, fuck you. I'm just saying, I'm just talking conversationally. Yeah. Like, that is a thing we're starting to really lean towards more and more. Because in the beginning, it was like, well, we're looking at The Daily Show. And it's like, well, The Daily Show always had interesting newsmakers on. If we combo that with comedy. But it's hard to do. It's just an, it's really hard to have like Christian Amanpour and like and like you know and, and Shore. yeah and Paulie Shore. But that's if you look back at some of those panels we had, like that's what it was. And it's like all right, let's get some chemistry going here for eight minutes. It's like not going to happen, guys. You know. So we, what we realized is having the having the the barbershop kind of as we call it, like the 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 group, the internal group that Larry already knows. That way, there's. Three or four are spoken for. Larry, me, Yard, whoever's on. They're gonna we, have a, a we already rapport. have a rapport. Yeah. So then it's like a guest coming over for dinner. And that is we started that basically right before the new year and that has worked a lot better. Where it's not like you know, and then and also when you have multiple guests on one show at night in the same thing, you have to start dealing with 
personalities between the two. Somebody comes late, somebody's early. One guy's got to leave. Some, you know, someone's got to meet someone for dinner. Like it just becomes, <laughs> a, you know, famous people always have somewhere else to be. Yeah. They just always do it. That's the level of fame I want to get. Me to too, man. Like, uh, it's called a hard out, Todd. That's what you have to out. say. You got to have a hard out. So then they go, Todd, you have to go now. Yeah, I do. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing about the hard out is you, we get, we get, you know, the talent department will say, so-and-so has a hard out. I'll be like, no, they don't. Like, I know, you know the level of hard out and right. the level of person who's just trying to like, you know, big time. You're like, nah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm going to call the bluff on that. <laughs> Let's tape late tonight and see how important that hard out really yeah, you is. Go, you know, we can't accommodate your hard out. Yeah. Like, sorry, French Stewart. You know what I mean? But like, I'm not accepting your hard out. We, I do some hard out sometimes if I get French an acting Stewart. thing and I have a, a, sh a show. That's yeah, you booked. have to. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm look, obviously people really do. People have flights to catch, I'm saying. But there is, anytime it's a big celebrity, hard out. But that's just part of having a good publicist, which is, this dude or lady who's famous does not sit around for a long time. You, they're past that. And you can see, like, you've been at it a long time. Like, you can start to see, you get to a certain point, at whatever level you're at, if you've been doing something a long time, where you're just like, yeah, if it, it'd be really cool if, like, in the middle of my set and at this club, like, the DJ next door didn't pump music and make the wall shake. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm famous, but just a little something like that yeah. would be great for the last 20 minutes of my set if the walls didn't shake, you know? Yeah. Whereas, like, five years ago, I'd be like, what do you can do? The walls shake? I'll take it. The walls will shake, you know? So you start to realize that after a while, you're allowed to, like, up your level of demands. But I, I do think sometimes they get out of control, and that's when people become notorious assholes. You know, have you had a few of those on the show? Yeah, not really. I mean, we don't have we don't we're not a big enough show to have big and famous enough people to be <laughs> assholes. Yeah, you know? we're not an asshole level show. show. Yeah, we, we're just people are just having to be invited on our show. Um, but no, we've had a few, but nobody's been really bad. I, I can't say we've had one experience where people have. Uh, I think we had who was it? Um, I don't want to. I think it's Ty, Tyrese, the guy from uh, Fast and the Furious movies. Uh -huh. He would came in and then he didn't want to be on. Like he was like changed his mind, but, <laughs> really? which yeah, but it, again, that's because we were doing the show this like a year ago, and like I kind of agreed with him. Like the dude came in and it turned out like the topic was going to be like some insane thing. He was like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that, and I'm like, good call, Tyrese. Like we, you know, it's like I think, th but that's not even being an asshole. That's just being honest. Like right. we, we, that was kind of the problem with the show. I was making f making people putting people out of their element that way is tough to do because like again like i said you have tyrese on and then you have like some you know news news person who's an expert in that topic and then you're going well hold on a minute like now i gotta talk to this person you know it's like nobody wants to be the person on panel who's like uh i have no idea what you're talking you know i heard uh, i read an interview with chris rock and he was saying he stopped doing um bill maher show because he felt like those people really know politics and he was doing yeah he, he used the term barbershop level of like yeah, sophisticated. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's what 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 I think is fun about our show is we don't none of us really know what we're talking about. We're just kind of <laughs> shooting the shit. But which I think now Tyrese would be like, sweet, I'd love to come on. Yeah. But like a year ago, when all of a sudden it's like we're gonna be talking about the uh, intersection between the you know the Middle East and Islamophobic presence, and then you know, and oh, all man, of a sudden yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I thought we were gonna like shoot the shit about like whatever. And it's I agree. Like the, I was on the show a bunch back then too, and I was like, yeah, this is hard. You know, you're like in a conversation with somebody, but I always would just default and be like, I don't know, really, I don't, I always, I don't really know what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, because if you say that, you're in trouble. You mm -hmm. look bad. But if you yeah. make a joke when everyone's being serious, you yes. might also look bad. Well, that's what I always do. So I just kind of lay in the, like high grass and just wait for pounce on jokes. You know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. like, I know what's going to happen. And the other thing too is 
what you realize is fun is if you have a serious person on, it's like trying to break their balls a little bit. It's really fun because they, you know, it's like it's like you're poking at somebody a little bit who's not normally poked at. You know, it's always yeah. It's funny. Like I think I saw Sharpton on. I think it was on like Politically Incorrect, and I was like, God, he was funny. Mm. Like he's just always Sharpton's always funny. Yeah, yeah. He, Everything that dude he can he can be. I mean, he's like takes himself way too seriously now. But if he like unleashes that like wild card kind of personality, he's hysterical. Was there anyone else who sort of surprised you? Or um, I mean, we've had some really cool. You know, like the, one of the b- best guests or one of my favorite things we did is we just had this little girl on. This girl uh, Malia Diaz is her name. Uh-huh. Uh, Diaz Diaz. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. D I A S, but it's not Diaz. Uh, she's an 11 year old girl in New, from New Jersey who started this. She's a young black girl, and she decided that all of the books she was reading were about were about white boys and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so she started this movement to to get books about young black girls and like people of color, kids of color, you know, in uh-huh. in the curriculum in New Jersey. And like people sent in thousands of books, and she started this whole book club. And we had her on and gave her like a little like nightly show award. And she was the cutest. How old was she? She's 11 years oh, old. Oh yeah, yeah. And she came on, and she was so sophisticated, and she was just talking about look, reading's a very important thing. It was like wow. I mean, we were all kind of, so those are the, I love that kind of stuff. I love when we have, you know, little like human, you know, human interest people on. And like I said, comics are really fun. We've, we've had a pretty good run of guests. Like we haven't had any of these like nightmare, but we are a new show, you know? And I think we sort of nipped it in the butt. The other thing we don't do, which I think is a good thing is we don't play like we don't play the hollywood game like it's like we're not gonna beat fallon like we're not gonna, so it's not like we're like let's get him before jimmy like we don't even try right. it's like yeah when jimmy's done with him let him let him know if he wants to come here you know like we don't pretend we don't we, we like really have stepped away from just being this like late night show and we gotta we gotta book the best guest at the best time it's like we're never gonna get him we're, we're at 11 30 colbert's down the street fallon's down you know across town the, the the George Clooney's not stopping by anytime soon, so it's like we don't really have to play in that arena. So it sort of gives us the freedom of like, oh, you know, so and so's in town, but they have to leave at six. It's like, nah, then we won't have them on. Anyone else who doesn't have to leave at six, like it doesn't. It, it's a it's a nice position to be in because you don't really once you're in that world of publicists and crazy celebrities, it's a very different environment. The whole show shifts because then there's people backstage freaking out all the time. The best people we have are, we have a lot of hip hop artists and they're awesome. Like we have Cameron as our just, he just does stuff around the office. Like we had to, we did a bit with him a year ago where he was our HR guy. Uh-huh. And it was like people would just sit down with Cameron. They're like, you know, someone. I don't even know who Cameron is. Cameron is a. How sad is that? It's not even that sad. He's a rapper. Made a little noise back in the early aughts. Uh, but he he was like the whole stop snitching. Remember stop snitching? That's Cameron. Like stop snitching. That's like his, that's his whole thing. Like, you know, you're not supposed to tell people. You're not supposed to tell the police about crimes. <laughs> that's Cameron. <laughs> that's Cameron's big uh, mantra. He does sound fun. Yeah, he is fun. He's, he's actually really fun. He's one of those guys who this happens a lot we have like an athlete come in and do a bit with us or like a you know a rapper or somebody and then like oh like they're also funny and you're like ah that's annoying like i can't rap you know what i mean like it's like i hate when people could do two things and one of them is also be funny because it just makes me feel like i've i have one mediocre skill set sometimes those are the funniest people the ones who aren't professionals yes but Cameron, we did a thing with him where he was uh, our office Santa, and you know the whole attitude is like, "Shut the fuck up, man! I'm not getting you that." Or like, uh, he was our HR guy in a bit we did where you know it's like, "So and so is uh, harassing me at work. Stop snitching, motherfucker!" You know that kind of shit. So we've had a lot really good. Uh, we've had really good experiences with those guys, um, which is great because that just kind of gives the show a little bit of like a different vibe. 
What is the uh, work day there? Like, when do you get in? When do you? I'm there from like nine to eight. Yeah, like the writers come oh, in. Man. We come in at like nine, talk about what's on that night show, and we put it together. You know, everybody. But assignments go out the day before, usually depending on what this story we're going to cover is. But you know, it's all got to be written and put together and produced day of. So we're coming in at nine. We're kind of reading scripts by like ten forty-five, picking the jokes that are going to be in the show, and then going from there into the like production day, which is like, all right, well, if we're doing a you know, if we're doing a green screen chat, um, you know, just a, like we did a bit where uh, Ricky Velez and I were um, in. Uh, we were the. Did you? This is one of the best stories that came out in the last year. Is uh, those occupiers in Oregon put out a thing online and we're like, if you can send us supplies, like we really need supplies, uh-huh. and everyone in America just took it upon themselves to just send them dildos. Oh, really? <laughs> like, it, like it was like it was I didn't like, even hear about that. Yeah, stuff. so these guys, so there's this video. This guy like, yeah, real funny guys. Right here, we got a bag of dicks. We got all these dildos, and he's like, and he sweeps it off the table. He's like, real funny. Like he's like yelling at America, and I was like, no, that is actually. So we did a thing where like. Larry hears that and he just stands up and like gives America a round of applause because it is an awesome thing to do. And then we checked in and I had at one point played this, the same character, but it was like where I was one of these militia dudes and I was in there and I was just pissed about all the dildos they were sending us. And then Ricky comes in with another box of dildos, you know, as another militia dude. And then we went out to all the girls on the show who, when they heard about this, occupied a post office because they wanted dildos, you know. <laughs> so then they were another, but just like, just send us some fucking dildos. Already, oh, that's you know? funny. Yeah. So, uh, that was, but that's the kind of thing where it's really funny. The script comes in, it's funny, but like, in order to do that, like, someone's got to go out and buy a bunch of dildos. Like, in other words, production is the you actually really the, the difference between writing and producing. It's like the difference between blueprint right. like, architects and contractors. Like, you could draw the building, but someone's got to hammer the nails, you know. Right. And like, and for when you're buying a hundred dildos, you can't do that thing that wardrobe people do where they leave the tag on and <laughs> return, return, return it, it yeah. the next time. <laughs> well, you can, I suppose. I don't know. But uh, so that's the kind of stuff where like the show, that's what the day is. The day is getting dildos is kind of the way I put it because it's like you have to have all of the elements that you write in the show have to get there. So, you know, we have a team of people that does it, but I have to oversee all that stuff all day. So, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of work. You guys each get four dildos each, right? Yeah, that, by the way. It looks, it looks less weird that way. There was never more excitement around the show than the day we had like 50 dildos. And then a dildo company on top of that saw a sex shop, saw and then sent us a bunch of dildos. Oh, man. So we're, we are rife with dildos Donated right dildos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slightly used donated dildos. Was there anyone on the staff who's like, uh, can I take this home? No, the, that's what I kept talking about. That when the the guy's doing inventory, and he's like, "Here it is, forty five. Wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like there's supposed to be forty five dildos here, you know, only thirty six. Yeah, the prop master. The prop master. <laughs> then he's like, "I'm gonna leave the room. Someone put the dildo back. Like the end of trading places. I thought there was only one gorilla. So eleven hours a day. Yeah, it's well, a long you're day. You're off today though, a little bit. Well, I got out. We're not taping tonight, so I got out early. Which when is do you tape? We tape Monday through Thursday. Uh, this week we're not taping. We just have what they call an in dark week, which is we go to work, but we don't have a show. So it's sort of an exercise in like, you know, uh, like getting things organized. It's not fun. It's my least favorite kind of stuff because this is when we have to do the like, all right, let's take a look. What's working? What's not working? Who's, you know, there's a lot of like kinks in the day. Like mm-hmm. we got to make the day move faster. There's kinks in the day. So it's just, it's a lot of, um, you know, that's a lot of like logistical stuff. And that's the stuff for me at this point that I'm really burnt on because I did that for a long time when I was at The Daily Show. Um, so there's a component to it that's like, oh, I've done this before where we have to get the train. Like 
the show's running fine, but it could always be running better. So like your job is to keep it like, you know, keep it going. So it's 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 definitely the tiring part of the job. It's not the like sitting in a room coming up with funny bits or putting on, you know, I like I said, I get to do characters and stuff on the show. So it's super fun. Like there's nights where I'm like, you know, I did one one night where I played a guy who uh, owned a water park in Flint, Michigan, uh-huh. you know, and he was like not. He was like, eh, business is huge, you know, <laughs> but like I started to have blood coming out of my ears and like my mouth was bleeding and I was like green. And so, um, that, you know, that's the trade off. The trade off right now is like, yeah, all right, I'll spend a week organizing things to make sure the show runs on time. And then every now and then I get thrown a wig and do some stupid shit. So it's fun. Do you guys have any sort of a uh, postmortem like after show? Oh yeah. Every night, you know, and that's just the check in, like how to go, what'd we miss? What'd we do? We actually have to like, that's one of the things we have to do is clamp down on our postmortem a little bit because postmortems are, they're helpful, you know? I mean, when you do stand up, like, do, what is your pro, like, when, when you, when you finish a set, because like, I know, like, Dimitri, I was always impressed, like, Dimitri yeah, always have his like big pad with stuff. him. Yeah, 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 he's got like, because he's, his act has charts and grass in it, but then yeah. he really has, so he always has that big pad. And when he gets off stage, he's like, two checks, one check. Like, he like reassesses yeah, yeah, how yeah. it went. I don't, I don't do that. I wish I, think, I had a little of that. I don't yeah, know if I'd too. want it. That I think it's much, important. But... No, but I think it's important. I think that's why you people I think people get better faster when they like sit back and look at it and go, How'd I do? What happened? Yeah, it's I hard mean, I to take do that. my sets, but I um... do you, how often do you listen to them? Do you video film them or you No, I just phone. Yeah, me too. I phone tape them. But the what I'll do is I'll do it and if I if I remember like, oh I I saw, I got a new angle on that. Then I will, you know, I'll click the rename function that's on what I my do. voice recorder, <laughs> and I'll just write "listen" with an exclamation point. Oh, that's but, good. But I have a backlog of like it's got to be a hundred, me or too, at least. And so like many in, on different phones. You me, know? Yeah, I, it's not organized, and and also it's uh, but I do that too. I'll name it. I'll just go like "seller set sucked" or like yeah. "bombed" or "listen." Like sometimes I'll write too much shit. I'll be like, "Listen to backside of blah, 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 and like the title of it is way too long. I did know? find that uh, my recorder has a, a speed, like a double speed function, so it helps you burn through. Uh, oh, you can like listen in. They can go da 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 da. So like, because the last thing you want to listen to is fifteen minutes of a of you the set you just did. Oh, like, it's brutal. Home, it's like, yeah, I want to go home and listen to that now. I know, it's hard. It's it's a. Uh... It is helpful though when you haven't been on like if you don't do a show for a while. What's the longest you go without doing a show? Um, do you ever have like a week or two I just, where I you're mean, not performing? I, yeah, occasionally. Like you know, I went to Japan on vacation and I, I only did four sets while I was there. No, I didn't do any. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do any. Uh, I only did the Budokan and three clubs. Yeah, but no, like I went a week and yeah, I tried it. I mean, stand up is a thing you have to keep doing it. Doing. But you, I think once you've done it a long time, you can. It's not like that's the thing. I forgot how to do this. I know there is a muscle. Memory. I, I noticed when I don't do it for a while, like after that hour I recorded, I was like, all right, I'm taking like because it was right around Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm like, I'm taking like four, three, four weeks of like I'm not going to do this. I've been working really? too many hours. Yeah, I was just fried, and I and I I was working like triple to get that hour ready. You know, so I was like, I'm just walking away from this for a little while. But then, uh, like two weeks in. Um, I forgot I said yes to do this thing or two and a half weeks in for Cypher Sounds. He like rec- does a thing at the at the underground, like uh-huh. a recorded thing yeah. for a web web series. And I said yes to it. And I had and all of a sudden he's like, Hey bro, you ready for tonight? I was like, ah! <laughs> and I was like, dude, I haven't done stand up in like two weeks. I like I was trying to get out of it. He's like, No, you can't. But then it muscle memory, like I went on, I killed. You know what I mean? But it was like I that day though, I was like nervous like i like i was new to stand up whereas like tonight like i have a set tonight i'm not even thinking about it but if i was doing if i hadn't done it for two weeks i was like oh man am i gonna bomb? so you were gonna take four weeks off see i feel like that's a long time 
Well, I was going to take just a, like a, a spell. You yeah. know what I mean? It wasn't like a set amount of time, but I was like, I'm just going to not do stand up. I, I was really tired. Like, I really overdid it because that hour to prep for that hour and really get it the way I wanted it was a lot of work. Plus, I was doing my 11 hours a day. So then those were the nights where I was like going to the cellar and Essie was hooking me up. Essie's the lady who runs a comedy cellar, by the way, in case people listening have no idea what we're talking <laughs> we'll about. We'll be giving her out her email yeah, address. Her email so address. Yeah, she'll, she'd love to hear. She'd love to hear yours. <laughs> but, uh, but she was giving me a ton of spots because I told her, I was like, look, I'm prepping for this thing. And she's, you know, awesome. See, that's good because you, you had basically an hour live show. Wasn't, were you, mm -hmm. Did you record it or not? I recorded it, but again, not okay. professional grade. But it's good you that you, you, know, you, you treated it like a big event. Yeah, so I... So I um, and I'm, you know, doing an hour on the road is one thing, but doing it at the festival, at a theater, I had a lot of friends and family coming because I'm from New York. So, uh, um, but doing that together, man, I was fried. And I, so I would go, I would get out of work at like eight thirty, go to the cellar, and do like spots till one a.m. and then go home. Like I was cooked. Yeah, I don't know if so I. At the I, end of that, I just needed to like. I mean, I had a handful of writing jobs, but I don't think, yeah, if I had a job a schedule like nine to eight, that I would be wanting to run over. You want to do it, but you have to. Once you're there, you're thrilled you're there. But like, it's the trick is like, don't go home first, you yeah. know? Because if you go home and like take your shoes off, you're yeah, like, you know what? I'm not gonna. I don't want to. Then you're ordering some Thai food. <laughs> yeah, next thing you know, I'm knee deep in PlayStation and Thai <laughs> food, and then that's my night. PlayStation, huh? Mm -hmm. Where do you do you live in Manhattan? Mm -hmm. Actually, just moved uptown to uh, Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen from the West Village. Yeah, I went. You went. From... I went less cool. Why did I'm you trying do that? to decool myself because I got a much bigger apartment for less money. I mean, literally, like, doubled my living space for like a lot less money. I mean, like, it was it was rem a remarkable adjustment, you know. Yeah, I mean, as I asked that question, I was like, "Well, he West Village is the most expensive." It 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 is. It's offensively the whole did you city buy a place? at this point. No, I did not buy a place. The whole city at this point, I find to be uh, it's it's unaffordable. I mean, there's no buying a place isn't really on the table, and uh, the whole city. I'm just at a place with New York where I'm like, man, this town just like rips. Like, here's something that happened to me the other day. I was with my girlfriend. We were going to stop at a store that she needed to stop at, and we were driving out of the city to do something else. So I was like, all right, well, we're in the car. Let's just pull in front real quick. Uh -huh. So there was a spot that was. Oh, you have a car? Yeah, I have a car. And uh, and there was a spot, but we were leaving Manhattan. So like on the way out, I was like, all right, well, let's stop at the store Upper West Side. So. We pulled into a spot and it had like, you know, like that Louie does it on the show, but there's like 15 street signs and it's like farmer parking only for yeah, farmer's yeah. markets. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's it's a Sunday. It's like three o'clock. I'm like, it's fine. We're running in. It's 30 seconds. Park the car. Get out of the car. Walk one block. The store is closed like for renovations. All right. No big deal. Walk back to the car. Hundred dollar ticket. Oh, man. And I said to her, I'm like, only like this is the town that. It a hundred dollar mistake. Yeah, I was gonna say, oh, it's a hundred dollar mistake that we. I wasn't sure about the street sign. I'm like, this is gonna be a 15 second stop anyway. There's no way between here and that door yeah. a cop can write me a ticket. It's impossible to do. And it was like I turned my back and there was a ticket on my car. And I thought I would at least catch the cop doing it. It was like he was hiding in a tree, like lowered a hundred dollar bill. Would you argue with him? I, no, I don't think I was had the right to argue with them because yeah. I guess when I looked at the sign again, I'm like, oh, right, I'm not a farmer. Like, it was very confusing. It was like, you know, it's a Sunday, so the meters are off, but there's a there's a no parking except Sundays. So I'm like, well, it is Sunday. And then there was another sign that said farmer's market only, but I don't even know what that means because yeah. I was like, well, maybe I'm at the farmer's market. Why, well, you know. That sucks because like $100 is just enough where you're like, fuck, that's, a, I mean, I have $100. Yeah. 
but I didn't want to give it want, to the city. I didn't want to just throw yeah. it out the window. That's like a dinner, man, for like uh, me and my girlfriend, you know, like that's, a, and maybe another friend. Like it's a lot of money, you know? So it's just, that's this town, I feel like after a while. So the West Village to me was the quintessential example of that, of just getting hosed all day. Don't so. talk to Dove Davidoff, Davidoff, because he'll, uh, he'll yell at you every time you tell him you rent. Yeah. He's been yelling at me lately. But how do yeah? But how do you? I mean, how do you buy know, a? Buddy. But how do you buy a one bedroom for one point two million dollars? Yeah. And and then, I don't know how to do that. Because I feel like you buy something like that, then you're like, I'm not even excited about living in this. Place. No, I don't and even want to live in it, and, and I can't broke. really afford it. Yeah, I'm broke, and I can't. <laughs> yeah, now I'm. I'm now I can't make ends meet every month, and I hate where I live. Yeah, in the West Village, there's studio apartments for like nine hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's apartments in Queens. Um, what is that place that the the club that's part of the stand? Oh, Long La- Island City. No, Laughing. Yeah, but Long Island City, Laughing Skull over there. Oh, it's called, uh, that's owned by the Stand now. It's called the Standing Room. Oh, the Standing Room. Yeah, but it was called the Laughing Skull yeah, and yeah. owned by the Stand at the same time, wasn't it? And then they it changed was owned it. by yeah. a different. It was oh. owned. No, it was called the Laughing Devil. The Laughing. Right. The Laughing Skull is in Atlanta, which is yeah. also a great club. But uh, the Laughing Devil. Yeah. So now it's called the Standing Room. But that right around that area. And look, I grew up on Long Island. Like I know what outside the Midtown Tunnel is. Like I know what that yeah. is, and they have apartments one one point one one point because I go you go do a spot at that club and there's like a realtor right there and they have all the listings yeah, in the I window look at and that. it's like eight hundred and fifty square feet, a million bucks, and you're in Queens. Yeah, and it's like what is going? Oh, how you know? I know. I can't. I don't know. It doesn't. So I my look. I would rather get out. I'd rather get a house outside the city. At least you have like oh, you can live like a king. Yeah, a king or you know. A middle, a middle class, middle aged guy. What do you? Uh, what do you have? Anything you want to uh, plug? As we wind, I don't know. Here? From people who live in uh, in Albany, <laughs> there's a lot of Albany listeners out there. I'm at Comedy Works next, not this weekend, the weekend after the 26th. I think I'm gonna be out there, and uh, you know, watch the nightly show. I'm on that a lot, and it's funny, and we need people to watch it so it stays on TV. Yeah. Especially if you're 18 to 34 and have a Nielsen box, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I mean, particularly you, if you're listening to this. If you're 18, 34, uh, with a Nielsen box. Yeah, that's probably half the people. Tune listen. in, just tune in, man. I don't need. Have you ever even known a Nielsen family? No, I've never known a Nielsen family, and that's the whole thing. The entire business is predicated on like magical group of people. If you have a Nielsen box and you're listening to this, can you just tweet at me and just so I know you're real? Because <laughs> I want to know that's a real thing. It's uh, Rory Albanese? Yeah, at Albanese. Rory Albanese. Albanese. Is it Albanese or Albanese? It's, it's probably Albanese. I say Albanese, but it's Albanese probably, is right. <laughs> well, I guess it's really you, Albanese, I think, is really how you're supposed to I like say it. it. You, you're not even sure. Well, I, you know, Albanese. because the, the argument is you're not supposed to say ah, eh, like that ah eh noise is like a very New York, like uh-huh. bad noise, especially all, like all, like uh, British people would, oh, would not make the ah eh noise. You know, they say all. Oh. So like John Oliver would be like you know oh, oh, you know it's like a it's a harsh sound to proper English eh, Albanese like eh, you know so like you're Long Island like if John Oliver wants to say John Oliver could call me whatever he yeah, wants you're yeah. not gonna yell at him no I would never how can you Rory Albanese yeah and you have RoryAlbanese.com. yeah which is yeah you don't have your tour I'm dates on Instagram on there. no I don't but Instagram and you gotta put your tour dates yeah on I know I gotta but do you have a web you have a web kid do you have like a web have person a guy, you have a guy I need a that's what I need I need a guy yeah. I won't give his name out on uh Yeah, God forbid he gets all the business. No, he's a good he does a good job. All right, good. Maybe I maybe he'd have to pay me ten thousand dollars for me to advertise him. <laughs> That's why there's no Damn. ads there's no ads on this Damn. podcast. Yeah, I'm on Instagram though. Follow Instagram, me on Instagram. Same. Yeah, I'll saw my name at Rory Albanese. You'll figure all it right, out. Man. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Todd. And uh thank you guys for listening and we'll do this again, I think. Feral audio. 
This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.